Well, we're continuing today our teaching series, our Christmas teaching series called An Unexpected Christmas. Trusting God when life doesn't go as planned. Uh, I think it's safe to say that this Christmas of 2020 is not what any of us planned. Uh, it's been quite unexpected what has unraveled here in this year that brings us to a Christmas in which we're in lockdown. It's very much for us an unexpected Christmas. But you know, if it was possible for us to talk with Mary and Joseph, I'm pretty sure that they would tell us that the first ever Christmas wasn't anything that they ever expected either. In fact, uh, what happened in those days was came to both of them as quite a surprise. And yet, when we read the New Testament uh, narrative about that first Christmas, when Christ was born, we see Mary and we see Joseph trusting in God and experiencing His amazing grace in their lives as they went through a very unexpected season. Our question has been, how do they do it? How is it that they trusted God and experienced His grace when life didn't go as planned? Two weeks ago, we saw, through, from, we saw in Joseph's life how he exercised faith in God by, sorry, a week ago we saw in Joseph's life how he exercised faith in God by being committed to obedience to him. He was, he was committed to doing whatever it was that God called him to do. He was committed to obeying. That's how he exercised faith in God. Two weeks ago, we saw in the life of Mary how she exercised faith in God by having a servant attitude. She got word about the coming birth of Christ, that she would be the mother of that child, that, that pregnancy would be a virgin conception. It was overwhelming. It was spectacular. It was nothing she ever expected. Yet we see in her response, her attitude was, I am the Lord's servant. That's how she exercised faith, with a servant's attitude. Now today, uh, we're going we're gonna to return to Mary again, and she's going to show us that there's another way that we exercise faith in God when life doesn't go as planned. And this way, it's another very important way that we trust God. It's a very important means also by which we experience His grace. But I'm going to warn you, it's something that you might not feel like doing. It's something that often doesn't come easy or naturally. It's something that when things don't go as we plan, we often don't think to do. But it's vitally important to do it. In fact, if you trust God, if you love God, you will do it. Well, what is it? What is it that Mary did when life didn't go as planned? It's this. She worshipped God. We're talking about worship today. We exercise faith in God, even when life doesn't go as we planned, by worshiping Him. Now, when we talk about worshiping God, we're talking about simply this, reflecting back to Him something of the glory that we see in Him. We see and we experience His goodness, His greatness, His grace. And then in response, through words and songs and shouts of praise and other expressions of praise, we say with gladness and joy what we feel in our hearts because of what we see and experience from God. This, we worship Him. Um, but this doesn't come naturally. 
to us. This sometimes doesn't come very easily. And there's lots of reasons for that. Among those reasons are oftentimes life is a struggle, isn't it? We often face many, many struggles that discourage us. And we're often not wired for worship under the flood of life that comes our way. Even more critically, um, not only is, does it not come naturally because a life being a struggle, but it's, it's also, there's another kind of struggle that's, that's a real issue, and it's, we often don't see. We, we, there's a, we have a dullness of heart that we don't perceive with the eyes of our heart the great glory and goodness of God. We are often blind to it. We don't see it very well. We're often like, like I was earlier this summer. I was with my wife and my kids and some friends, and we were out, by, and we were out in the wilderness camping out beside a lake. And at night, this one night, the sky was totally clear. Except for this, it was filled with stars. It was a beautiful starry night. You just look up and you can't even begin to count the stars. And everybody was not only admiring the stars in the sky, but they were also ooing and aahing over shooting stars. Everybody saw these shooting stars except for one person, me. I could, I would be like, like oh, look at there. And I look up and see, and it's like, oh, you, you missed it. And, oh, there's a little one there. And I look and say, where is it? So then I started studying this guy. I'm like, okay, I'm going to see these shooting stars. So I'm looking up in the sky and looking and looking. Oh, look over there. I don't see it. No, it's over here. Oh, I, I didn't see it. This went on for a long time, and it started to get everybody's laughing at me. Can you imagine my own family and friends laughing at me, not seeing shooting stars? And um, I can happy to report, eventually I saw one. But oftentimes when it comes to seeing the goodness and greatness and glory of God... We're like me looking for shooting stars. We just don't see them. We don't see it sometimes. And that's why our passage today is such a treasure to us because it shows us the shooting star. It shows us something of the glory of God. And this passage, in this passage, we're going to see something of the glory of God, the greatness of God, why he's worthy of worship through the eyes of Mary when she worshiped God in response to what she saw in him and what he was doing in her life. And I want you to see it for yourself. So we you get your Bible open. You turn with me, please, to the book of Luke, chapter 1. And our text today is verses 39 to 56. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. This is part three of our series, An Unexpected Christmas. And um, in this text here, just to set it up for you, Mary has, of course, already met with the angel. The angel came and announced to Mary the forthcoming birth of Jesus. And not only that, but Mary was going to be the mother and that God, by the Holy Spirit, was going to and had already now worked a miracle in her, so much so that she, she conceived this child by a miracle of God. And uh, so she was still a virgin, and yet she was pregnant with the Christ child. Now, the, as we're reading through the, the book of Luke, we find that as soon as the angel left, Mary got a few things together and made haste to go visit her relative Elizabeth. And the reason she went to visit Elizabeth is because the angel told her, Mary, not only are you going to have a child, but your relative Elizabeth, I'm not sure exactly how they were related. They seem to be cousins somehow, but your relative Elizabeth is also pregnant, which was amazing, not because Elizabeth's pregnancy wasn't a virgin conception like Mary's, but Elizabeth, Luke tells us, was advanced in years. She was beyond the years of childbearing, and yet she was going to have a baby. 
And that would be a sign to Mary that what God had told her through the angel was going to come true. So you can imagine what Mary does as soon as the angel leaves. Mary gets her things together and makes a long journey to go and visit her relative Elizabeth to share in the good news and the wonder of what God was doing. And that's where we pick it up right here. As Mary shows up, walks in the door to Elizabeth's house, this is what happened. Verse 39 of Luke 1. In those days, Mary, made, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah, that's Elizabeth's husband, and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. That's in Elizabeth's womb. Now, the, who's the baby? If you know your Bible, you know it's John the Baptist, who's going to be a person who introduces Jesus to the world. That's later in the story in the New Testament. But right now, we've got a baby leaping in its mother's womb. And Elizabeth, verse 41, And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came into my ears, my baby, the, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. I'll just pause to notice how the New Testament unabashedly ascribes full personhood to the unborn. Now, verse 45, she says this, And blessed is she, talking about Mary, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, there's a defining characteristic in Mary's life. She believed God. God said it. She believed it. That settled it. That, that was how she did life. She trusted fully in God. Now, here we come to Mary's response. And this is what I want you to really notice. Her worshipful response. From verses 46 through to 55, we've got a poem a poem of praise. It's called the Magnificat, generally speaking. It's just a Latin word that is uh, from the Greek word that's translated magnifies in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's where we get this word Magnificat. You've heard that maybe in church before. Some Bibles uh, translate it as uh, my soul glories in the Lord or my soul exalts in the Lord. One translation says, my, uh, says that uh, my heart proclaims, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. But we can see here it's a note of praise. Listen to what she says. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those, who humble, uh, those of humble estate. And exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. So you see what she sees here? God does much for those who are humble. But those who are proud and self-sufficient and even self-righteous, God doesn't bless them. Now verse 54. He helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. 
And Mary remained with her, that is with Elizabeth, three months and returned to her home. Why'd she stay for three months? Well, Elizabeth was six months pregnant. Add three to that. Mary stays through to the birth of the baby. Probably helped with the birthing of John the Baptist. And then she returned home. Here's the main idea. The main idea today is this. We exercise faith in God, even when life doesn't go as we planned, by worshiping Him. Worship is something that's so critical for us in our lives as believers. Whether life's going good, whether life's going bad, whether life is going these days just according to your plans, or whether life is just like for most of us, not going according to plan. The response of a believer in every circumstance in every season is to worship God. That's what Mary does. And she shows us the way here. She sees some things about God that I want you to see. Some things that are here in this text that ought to move us to worship. So what did she see here? What is it that, that moved her to worship? What is it that ought to move us to worship? Well, there's four things here in particular. Four things that, uh, four things that ought to move us to worship here in this text. First thing is this. We are, we are moved to worship God when we think about who He is. When you and I think about who God is as believers, it does something to us. What wells up inside of us is wonder, and it overflows in worship. That's what happens to Mary. Look what she sees about God, about who He is. Verse 46, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. Now there's an awesome title that speaks of His greatness, of His, his sovereign mastery over everything, that He's the ruler of the world. She calls him her God. She says, and my spirit rejoices in God. He's, there's no one higher. There's no one greater than him. He is God and God alone. She calls him her Savior. Her Savior. Not only is God her helper, not only is God her benefactor, God is her Savior. He, she knew that she needed to be saved just like you and I need to be saved. And she had the wonder of seeing in this moment how God was at work doing that and using even her as part of his goodness to you and I in bringing Jesus into the world to save us. She, she knew, saw God as her Savior. That's who he is. He's, he's the Lord. He's God. He's Savior. Verse 49, she says that God is the mighty one. He can do anything. When we were kids, we used to sing, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do for you. Well, what's that song about? It's about God and his, his great power to do anything, even beyond our wildest imaginations. That's what Mary saw. Here she is looking at her own life and circumstances. Like, imagine God can do something that nobody can do, that I have a baby in me. By his miraculous working, that my, that my relative Elizabeth at this stage in life is also part of God's plan in having a baby. It's just amazing. She calls God, not only is he mighty, he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. She recognizes that God is holy. There's no one like him. He is unique. He, is, uh, he dwells in unapproachable light in his holiness and yet he's also merciful. She says that holy is his name in verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him. Many who trust him, who fear him. He's merciful. In other words, he's compassionate. He cares. He loves. 
We are moved to worship when we think about who God is. Decades ago, the pastor and author A.W. Tozer said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because it, it will shape all of your life. Our thoughts, our spending, our plans, our passions are all reflections of our true view of God. What comes into your mind when you think about God? If when you think of God, you think of someone who is common, uh, who, uh, who is a, a little bit more like you, then, well, you'll probably just do common things and live however you please. If you think that God is distant and detached, you won't trust him. You won't look to him. If you think God is limited and weak, you'll pay little attention to him. You certainly won't depend on him. If you think that God is somehow uncaring, you will be compelled to take matters into your own hands in life. If you think that God is just an idea or a concept, you'll talk about him, you'll debate him, but you'll be really a practical atheist. Living your day-to-day -day life is always not there because after all, really you just perceive him as an idea. There's many people whose vision of God is just a slightly exalted version of themselves. And yet the reality is, is that God is none of those things. God is God. And as Mary reminds us, He's the Lord. He's the Savior. He's the Mighty One. He is holy. He is merciful. The big problem that many of us have is this, is that our God is too small. How we perceive of Him in our minds. It was J.B. Phillips who wrote many years ago a book called Your God is Too Small. I've never read it, but the title speaks to me because I think it's an accurate description. Some of us have a too small view of God, and that has unnecessarily negative impacts on our lives. You're not trusting Him because you don't think you can trust Him. You don't look to Him because you don't think He's able to help you. You don't live for Him because He's never got beyond just an idea or a concept that your parents talked to you about. He's no, bigger, he's no more meaningful to you than Santa Claus. But the reality is for Mary, what was her view of God? She had a more true view of God. And having a true view of God, she had a high view of Him. And she was moved, moved to worship when she thought about who He really is. And loved ones, that's what you and I need. We ought to esteem God. We ought to fear Him with a healthy fear of Him, of acknowledging that He is God. And we ought to love Him. God created us with desires and longings that only He can fulfill. And when Mary gets a great vision of him with the eyes of her heart, her heart overflows with the fullness of God, and she bursts out in worship. Oh, loved ones, pursue a true view of God, a biblical view of God. Does the God that you perceive, is, is God that you perceive in your mind ref, the one reflected in the pages of Scripture? We are moved to worship when we think about who God is, who He really is. That's the first thing we see here that Mary shows us. Second thing that she shows us is that we're moved to worship God when we think about not only who He is, but also what He has done. When we think about what God has done, uh, it, ought, it ought to move us to worship. That's what it did for Mary. When she thought about what God had done, particularly for her, she was inspired to praise God. Look at verse 48. She says about God, He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. She's talking about herself. He has looked on me. And she's thinking like, who am I? You're right, I'm, 
I'm a nobody from a no I'm a nobody from a nowhere place. I'm nobody special. And yet he's looked on me and he's honored me with a high calling. She's gonna give birth to the Christ. She says, he has looked on the humble estate of a servant. For behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. We are moved to worship when we think about what God has done. What God has done for us. You know, for Mary, God, he worked a miracle in her. Gave her the honor of bearing the Messiah. The hope of the world through her. She would be a vessel of mercy, a a, a kind of a means by which really God would bring salvation. And when she thought about God's goodness, what he had done to her, she was moved to worship. Let me ask you, what has God done for you? You say, well, I don't know. I, I ain't ever experienced no virgin conception. No, and you're not going to. But God has done no less great things in you, dear Christian. I mean, when you think about it, what's he done in you? When you trust in Jesus, God gives you a new heart. He changes you on the inside. God does for you something that you can never do for yourself and no one else can do for you. He makes you new. And it's a radical transformation. It's so radical. The Bible calls it being born again. You're given a new heart for God. You're given a heart for Him that you didn't have. You're given new desires, new passions for Him. He's worked in you to give you a new heart. He sanctified you. He set you apart unto himself. What has God done for you? Well, he saved you. He's given you a new life. He's welcomed you, you, into his forever family. He's given his Holy Spirit to dwell in you. So he's always, always with you. He's got plans for you. He's got purposes for you. And he upholds you with unbreakable promises. He's done many things for you. And he's doing things through you, many of you. If you think about it. There are people that God is touching, that God has ministered to through you, of all people. As you live for God, lives are touched by Him through His people, through people like you. If you would just stop and think about, what has God done for me? That just might begin to move you to worship. That's what Mary did. When she thought about what God had done for her, she was moved to worship. Let me ask you, what has God done for you? Or maybe to ask it this way, where would you be if it wasn't for God? Where would you be today? What would you be doing if it wasn't for God's goodness to you, God's grace in your life? My dear brother, sister, when you think about that, doesn't that stir something in you of gratitude and wonder at God's kindness to you? I'm talking to you, not the person sitting next to you, not the people driving past your house right now. I'm talking to you. We're moved to worship when we think about what God has done, done for us, done for you and for me. We're moved to worship when we think about who God is, about what God has done. Thirdly, we're moved to worship when we think about what God does. We're moved to worship God when we think about what it is that he does, how he works in the world, the things that he does. In particular, Mary marvels at God's great work in those who are humble, in those who are maybe in the eyes of the world nobodies, that they are somebodies to God. You notice that verses 50 to 53, that theme there? 
She says, verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. In other words, I mean, it's, this is the way God works in the world. He's, he's gracious. He gives blessings to those who fear him. He says, verse 51, he has shown, she says in verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. There's some people who think they're really something. They're self-made people. And yet Mary observes that again and again throughout history, God has brought those kinds of people low. Conversely, the humble he's lifted up. He says, she says in verse, um, uh, in verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted or lifted up those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. You see the reversal that she notices? Loved ones, what we see in Mary, what we learn from her, what moved her to worship was the realization of not only who God is and what he's done for her, but also what he does, how he goes about working in the world. She observes a pattern, a pattern in which that's, we see in Scripture, whereby God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Mary knew her Bible, and as she, I think in verses 50 to 53, she's recalling, I think, the history of Israel that we read in the, in the Old Testament. When Israel was idolatrous and proud, what happened to them? Things went badly. God brought them low. But when they were dependent and humble, how did it go for them? They received mercy. God lifted them up. There's a repeated sentence in the Bible. It's quoted both by James and by Peter, and it comes from Proverbs, and it says this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Mary looked at her life, and she saw, look, I've got no material wealth, okay? Like, I don't have a big reputation. Her last name wasn't Kardashian or Bezos. She, she wasn't a president she wasn't a queen. She didn't have an impressive resume. She didn't have much of an education. She didn't have connections. She was, in the eyes of the world, a nobody. But she had faith in God. She feared God. She loved God. She was humble before him. She was dependent on him. And that's exactly the kind of person that God uses, that God works through, that God blesses. He gives grace to the humble. Loved one, what do you bring to the table? Some of you feel like, some of you feel like, oh, I mean, God could ever really do anything special through me. I mean, who am I? I'm not really very good at stuff. I don't really have a lot of connections. I don't, I mean, there's other people that maybe they've got money, they've got talent, they've got courage. God can use them, but I don't know what he could do with me. It's like you sort, some of you feel like you live your life at the kid's table where everybody else at the grown-up's table is living for God and experiencing his grace. You know what the kid's table is, right? I don't know what it was like in your house, but when I was little, there was a kid's table. There wasn't room for everybody at one table, and I think the grown-ups wanted some grown-up conversation. So they put up a rickety little card table where you had to sit around a coffee table, and you had your meal over there. But the real meal was going on at the grown-ups table. I'm not bitter about it. I'm over it. But here's the thing. Some of us think of our lives as though we're stuck at the kid's table, but everyone else at the grown-ups table really living. Listen, God loves the grown-up table. God loves the grown-ups, but he loves, he's got grace for the kids' table. And what Mary is saying is, listen, quit. You've got to change your perspective on this. 
the reality is, it's not who you are, it's who you know. Or better yet, it's who knows you. God has grace for the humble. And when Mary thought about that, Mary looked at her life and said, I'm a nobody. And yet look what God is doing through me. Loved ones, if you know the Lord, you could say the same thing. Look, look at the opportunity in front of us right now. There is a world that needs Jesus, and we know all about him. And God calls us into his great service to make an eternal difference. It's awesome. Mary thinks about that and worships God because of it. And you and I should do the same. We're moved to worship when we think about who God is and what he's done for us and what he does in the world, how he gives grace to the humble. But the fourth thing we, all, we see here is that we're, we're moved to worship when we think about what God will do. There's things that he has done, the thing that he is doing, but there's things that he will do. And we can worship God in light of it because we realize that what he will do is he'll keep his promises. I think that's what Mary exalts in in verses 54 and 55. She says, he has helped his servant Israel, Israel, his people, the, the, uh, the people that he set his heart upon in the Old Testament. He made a promise to the father of Israel. He made a promise to Abraham that now in Mary's day, he was keeping. He promised Abraham that through Abraham, he would bless all the nations of the world. And now Mary sees, you know what? What God promised so many years ago, he's doing now in sending Christ into the world. God will bless the nations just as he promised through the seed of Abraham, through the descendant of Abraham, through the Messiah that's coming. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She marvels here at how God keeps his word. You know, we're moved to worship when we think on the, on the same thing, the fact that God keeps his promises. You know, we're reminded, as we have been many times this past year in 2020, that the three most common um, affirmations about God in the Bible are these. That God is good, that God is able, and that God is faithful. God is good. He's not deceptive or conniving, but he is good. He's truthful. He's also able. There's, he's mighty. There's nothing that he cannot do. And he is faithful. That is that he will keep his promises. He's able to keep them. He's, faith, he's, he's good, so he, he, he speaks truth. He will keep his promises. You and I have promises that we can bank on, and we must bank on. He's got a promise that if you trust in Jesus, he'll forgive your sins. He promises that. He promises that when you die and leave this world, that you'll go to be with Jesus. He promises that. He's got a promise for you that nothing can ever separate you from his love. He's got a promise for you, Romans 8, that, that uh, whatever happens in this world will never be beyond his power and will never escape his ability to somehow, some way, turn into something good for you in the end. He promises that. He, he promises he'll never leave us or forsake us. So he's with you now. Jesus said, I'm with you always. Like here, like now. He promises that. He promises that the work he started in you, he'll bring to completion. He, he promises that he will, in Psalm 84, that he will withhold no good thing from you. In other words, whatever is good, Whatever is for your blessing, he will ensure somehow, some way, ultimately, it comes to you. <laughs> you got promises that you can count on. I love how J.C. Ryle put this. Ryle was 
a pastor from many, many years ago, and he knew all about hardship, the rigors of ministry, and, and the, the hard knocks of life. He was widowed three times. He had pain of seeing unconverted children. But he made it through in his life by banking on the promises of God. And as he reflected on that, he, Mary came to mind. As he reflected on Mary's experience, this is what he said. He said of Mary, he said, let us learn from this holy woman's example. Lay firm hold on Bible promises. Lay firm hold on Bible promises. It is of the deepest importance that our peace, of our peace, sorry, it is of deepest importance to our peace to do so. Promises are in fact the manna that we should daily eat and the water that we should daily drink as we travel through the wilderness of this world. In other words, how are you going to make it through? How are you going to find the strength, the sustenance to get through another day, another week, another month, another year? How are you going to do it? on the promises of God. That's the strength for your life. He says, We see not Christ and heaven and the book of life and the mansions prepared for us. We don't see those things right here and now. We walk by faith. And this faith leans on promises. He continues, But on those promises we may lean confidently. They will bear all the weight that we can lay on them. We shall find one day, like the Virgin Mary, that God keeps his word and that what he has spoken, he will always in due time perform. What are you up against this Christmas 2020? You're facing a shortage? You're facing family tensions? You're facing uncertainties? A lot of us are facing uncertainties, aren't we? Maybe you're facing death square in the face. Loved ones, whatever is weighing on you, you can rest yourself fully on the promises of God. And when you think about that, God always keeps his word. That ought to move us to worship. God, that I can count on you. There's a lot that I can't count on. There's a lot of things that I, can't, I don't know for sure. I don't know what's going to happen today, let alone tomorrow. But I know that you've spoken and I can believe you. And when we think on that, it ought to uh, well up within us a sense of gladness, not in our circumstances, but in God. And in so doing, the believer worships. Four reasons to worship God. Four things that move us to worship. Who He is, what He's done, what He does, and what He will do. He'll keep His promises. Taken together, these things moved Mary to worship. Now I think... A great way for us to worship God this season is by singing some of those great Christmas carols. You know the ones, right? Not Frosty the Snowman or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I mean, those are fun, but that's not going to thrill your soul. No, I am talking about the Christmas carols that tell us all about who God is, what He's done, what He does, what He will do that are focused on that, that Advent, that first Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. Some of those Christmas carols that we, we only sing this time of year contain for us uh, wonderful biblical words of truth and hope and promises that can fuel and uh, really serve us in our worship of God. I'd encourage you, loved one, to sing some of those songs. Get them out. I think of a, a song like, Oh Holy Night, 
that says, you know, oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Now, here's a line I love. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And then what does, one, what does one do in light of that? Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angels' voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. I love the line three in that song. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. What hope we have, what promise we have from this mighty God who has done great things. He does great things and he will do great things. Or how about this song we're going to sing right now. O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. And that great song of uh, that great chorus in there about O come, what are we coming to do? O come let us adore him. O come let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. In fact, why don't we just sing now? Madison's going to lead us now in a, a song of praise, the Lord, one of those carols. Sing the carol. Sing it at the top of your lungs. And get out some more as we reflect on what God has done for us this Christmas. <laughs> 